Morning, y'all. I'm Katie Kamen, and it's Friday, June the 10th. Today is National Iced Tea Day, or as some might put it, the day to celebrate the so-called House Wine of the South. This weekend in Somerville, seven sites will open up their porches and gardens for the annual Somerville Bed and Breakfast Association's Porch Stroll tomorrow. That event is part of the celebration of National Iced Tea Day, and it will include details about the history of tea in the Lowcountry. For more information, you can visit lowcountryweekend.com. I know the first question you're asking yourself, will the weather interfere with the weekend plans? Let's head over to the First Alert Weather Center for more. And good Friday morning to you. I'm meteorologist Joey Sovine. Starting out with sunshine this morning. Temperatures in the low to mid-70s. Now the humidity will be down just a little bit today and won't be quite as hot this afternoon, but still a low to mid-80s at noon and will be near 90 this afternoon. There will be a slight chance of a shower and thunderstorm. I think we get a little better chance of an afternoon and evening shower and thunderstorm on our Saturday. Then the rain chance goes back down Sunday. High temperatures this weekend near 90 degrees. Heading into next week, a couple of showers and storms possible, but it is going to be a hot week next week. High temperatures in the mid-90s starting on Monday. You're listening to Morning Y'all, your local headlines and first alert weather forecast, powered by the Low Country's news leader, Live 5 News. Now, let's get to your morning headlines. Right now, authorities with the Horry County Police Department are looking for a missing four-month-old child. They say that baby was last seen with his biological father, 23-year-old Akeem Bryant, on Bill Grissett Road near Loris. Police say Akeem is not the baby's legal guardian and may be driving a black 2012 Cadillac SUV with a Nevada license plate. Officials believe they may be near the North Carolina-South Carolina border. Anyone with information is asked to call 911. In North Charleston, a person is dead after a crash. North Charleston police say that crash happened on Dorchester Road near Oscar Johnson Drive. Yesterday afternoon, just before 3, involving a large box truck. Now, officials say the person hit was a woman. She died at the hospital. No charges have been filed at this time. A person who was hit by a car in Charleston County is in the hospital this morning. Officials with the Onda McClellanville Fire District say that person was hit by a car on Highway 17 and Seawee Road in the Onda area just before 9.30 last night. The Charleston County Sheriff's Office says the pedestrian was seriously injured. No other details have been released at this time. Well, the deputy who crashed into a family of three resulting in their deaths is expected to turn herself in today. Charleston County Sheriff's Deputy Emily Pelletier is facing three counts of reckless homicide. According to Lieutenant Sonny Collins, warrants for Pelletier's arrest have already been obtained and are set to be served today. The warrants come after a news conference Tuesday where Sheriff Kristen Graziano announced the findings of an internal investigation in the crash. A bond hearing for Pelletier is scheduled for two o'clock this afternoon. Stephanie Dantzler and her two daughters, Shanice and Miranda Dantzler Williams, were killed when their car was hit by the deputy's patrol vehicle on Mother's Day along Savannah Highway at New Road. Today, the city of Orangeburg will formally introduce its new police chief. Charles Austin has been named to the position after serving as interim chief for nine months. Austin has served more than 48 years in municipal, county, and state government, as well as higher education. Most notably, he was the city of Columbia's first African-American police chief. The city of Orangeburg will hold a news conference, formally announcing Chief Austin this morning at 11. Well, South Carolina.
Carolina Superintendent of Education says it will cost well over a billion dollars to make all the needed fixes to school buildings across our state. Now, the tax base just is not there, she said, in rural schools to make necessary renovations. The Department of Education is using data like the average income of the people who live in certain areas and whose taxes fund their local schools. The state ranked every district in South Carolina based on need. Spearman staff looked at 10 districts with the greatest need first, then expanded it to 25 neediest. A meal of tax in some of our poorest county only brings in $20,000. And in our richest counties, it brings in $2 million. So you can tell how difficult it is to build a school. So far, more than $15 million is headed to Dillon 3 and 4 and $38 million going to Saluda. Spearman says this is the biggest investment into the building and infrastructure of South Carolina's public schools in about 70 years. Senator Tim, Tim Scott has introduced a bill that will allow schools to use unspent COVID-19 relief money for safety features. According to Scott's office, $150 billion in COVID relief funds have yet to be spent by state education agencies. The Safe Schools Act would allow schools to use that money on new safety features like security systems and armed resource officers. Senator Scott says this bill will take an important step to make schools safer by using that unspent COVID money. More than 800 cameras monitoring North Charleston in real time, 24-7. That's the city and the police department's plan with its joint operations center. Yeah, officials say it will help prevent and solve crimes, but some people have their concerns. Melissa Rademacher has a breakdown of the very latest developments. North Charleston Deputy Police Chief Hagee says there are already 120 cameras in use and this center will build on that system. The city has heard some support and some opposition. The opposition is mostly about privacy and concerns of profiling. Hagee says the system retains the data it collects, like license plate numbers and car models, for 30 days before it resets. He says it doesn't use facial recognition or anything connected to a database in terms of tracking. Now the $2.5 million budget for the expansion is approved. It will pay for two full-time employees to monitor the system, as well as additional cameras and installation. They're, they're out where everybody can see them. We've had these up for two years. Um, we're just adding to the camera. Well, we've been researching this at the Chief's Directive for about a year and a half, two years. So this isn't something new. In order to be successful, in order to help the citizens, we have to be able to leverage technology. In an effort to be transparent, Hagee says the police department is planning question and answer sessions and wants to give the public the opportunity to tour the facility when it is completed. In the newsroom, Melissa Rademacher, Live 5 News. A breakdown of reported mass shootings by a national group tracking them lists the Palmetto State as having the fifth highest total in 2022. The Gun Violence Archive says there have been a total of 252 mass shootings reported in the U.S. since January 1st. The organization defines a mass shooting as an incident in which at least four people are wounded, regardless of whether those wounds are deadly. According to the group's website, Texas has had the most mass shootings at 24 this year. South Carolina has the fifth spot with 13.
Some of the measures lawmakers discuss included raising the minimum age for people to buy assault rifles, but Governor Henry McMaster says a proposal like that could intrude on Second Amendment rights. Now, here are some ideas the governor is supporting to make the state safer, especially in schools. That includes tougher penalties for people caught illegally carrying guns and getting a trained school resource officer in every school. McMaster says the state is also working to increase access to mental health resources in schools. For almost 90 years, an old historic city maintenance garage has been part of the Elliott Borough community on the Charleston Peninsula. The city of Charleston says the neighborhood wants to keep the building, but they'd like to see it put to better use. Lauren Quinlan joins us live. And Lauren, what is the city looking for in terms of this particular project? Good morning. Good morning. City officials told me they are looking for creative development proposals and ways to reuse this space, and they're looking to bring something new to the surrounding community. The purpose and the goal in reusing this space is to keep the building's historic charm, keep it community-oriented, and give people an opportunity to bring about their ideas or dreams in an affordable way. Robert Summerfield with the city of Charleston says they've already got some people interested in the space, which is why they've issued a proposal request to see what might work best. The building doesn't have to be limited to just one thing. A few ideas that have been thrown out are a mix of affordable housing and office spaces, a breakfast and lunch cafe, and other creative spaces. Could there be um, more affordable commercial spaces that come out of this that help maybe a startup business find um, a location where they can get themselves off the ground and, and get themselves started. I mean, we talk about affordability a lot when it comes to residential, uh, but one of the big affordability issues that we're having as a community is on the commercial side. The Elliott Borough Park and Community Garden is also included in this project. The city says it will stay a park, but there's an opportunity to bring the community garden back and liven up the space with rotating food trucks and more. Proposals will only be accepted if they are hand-delivered or mailed in to the City of Charleston's Procurement Division, and any questions should be directed to Robin Robinson no later than June 16th by 1 p.m. For more information on who to contact and where to mail those proposals in, click on this story on Live5News.com. Reporting live in Charleston, Lauren Quinlan, Live5 News. On this date in 2020, protesters pulled down a century-old statue of Confederate President Jefferson Davis in Richmond, Virginia. Richmond served as the capital of the Confederacy. That same day, NASCAR announced it would ban the Confederate flag at all of its races and venues. The flag had been a common sight at those events for more than 70 years. And from the birthday file today, former first daughter Sasha Obama turns 21. I hope you all have a great weekend. We really appreciate you starting your morning with us here on Morning Y'all. From Live 5 News, I'm Katie Kamen. I'll talk to you Monday. Morning Y'all is produced every weekday morning. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and download the Live 5 News app for your mobile device. Get the latest news and weather updates 24-7 from Live 5 News, the Low Country's news leader.